week. Um, this week we're going to look at the fourth commandment. And this one, perhaps more than any of the others, is a source of misunderstanding sometimes. Sometimes a source of contention. Because the church generally does not practice the keeping of the commandment, at least not the same way that the Jewish person who was reading those first commandments would, either in the early days following the Exodus or even Jewish people today. So I want to start right off with the text, and then we're going to see what we can discern about this this morning. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting at verse 12, we find the fourth commandment. And it says this, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now there's a lot that could be said this morning. Um, and I debated whether this could be more than one sermon, but I'm going to just do the one sermon on it, and I might write a blog on this week as well. But I want to start off with some of the ways that Christians and people who have claimed to be Christians have understood this commandment throughout the church history. First, there are those who say this commandment does not apply to believers at all. And they'll point out that this is the one commandment of the ten that is not reiterated either by Christ himself or the other writers of the New Testament. They may further point out that Paul himself wrote about not judging someone whether they kept the Sabbath or not. Some of those who say that this commandment is null and void for the Christian will go even further saying Well, Christ is our rest. The Christian does not need weekly respite from work because Christ completed the law and we need not keep it. And some of those people say, you know, just burn out for Jesus, right? That's one category of way people have looked at it. There's another category. Those are the ones who say we need to keep the Sabbath exactly the same way the ancient Jews did and the very Orthodox Jews today because this command, they will say, is not... Even though it's not reiterated in the New Testament, it's not explicitly revoked in the New Testament either. And because the command is not explicitly revoked, well, then they'll say it still stands. And therefore, the Christians should keep the Sabbath on the seventh day, that is Saturday, not Sunday as we do, and we call it the Lord's Day. And those who believe that the Sabbath is still to be kept on the seventh day can further be divided into two groups. There are some that realize This is a personal conviction that the Sabbath is the seventh day or a Saturday, and then they'll leave everyone else alone. But then there's also uh, some that will say, um, well, the first category is say, well, it's a matter of conscience. I'm not going to bother you about it. You don't bother me about it, but I just feel like I'm going to do it on the Sabbath is on a Saturday. 
But many of Seventh-day Sabbath keepers go further than that, and they believe this is actually the mark of the beast. That in the end, the separation, the mark of the beast is those who celebrate the Lord's Day on Sunday. That's what some of them believe. And the separation, in the end, between Christians who will be saved and those who are deceived uh, will be the ones who have uh, the ones that have kept the Sabbath on Saturday or those who they say changed it to Sunday in violation of the fourth commandment. And then they will, and which includes all of us, will therefore be rejected by God in the end so that the only true church, they'll say, is those who honor the Sabbath on the seventh day. Once a person has stepped into that mindset, I would argue, uh, they've come into cult territory. It's a dangerous misunderstanding of salvation because salvation doesn't come from keeping the law. It comes from grace. So there are those, I would say, kind of extremes, and then there's kind of a middle ground, so to speak, among Christians today. I guess most of us would fall on this. You may call this the orthodox position, and that is the understanding that Jesus did indeed declare that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and that he himself is Lord of the Sabbath. And in consideration that the early church, as recorded in Scripture, celebrated the Lord's Day on the first day of the week rather than the seventh day of the week. And furthermore, that Paul warned believers not to enforce the Sabbath or judge others by their keeping of it then we would say that the concept or the precept of the Sabbath as established in the fourth commandment is still a valid concept. But because we now set aside the first day of the week rather than the seventh day, we keep it in a new and different way in accordance with a new covenant. And even within that view, you will find different ideas of what that means to different believers. Does it mean that no secular activity at all can be done on this day? Does it simply mean it's a day of enjoying life? Is it a day to sit quietly and read your Bible all day? Or is it a day to spend all day at church or some other thing? Is it primarily a day of rest or primarily a day of worship? Someone might put a, which I would say that's a false dichotomy, but some people would say, is it one or the other of those? It's both. But I want to say this to start right off, since there are so many different ways that Christians have understood this concept of the Sabbath, we have before us this morning a monumental task to try to understand what to do with the Sabbath. The thing we must do is to take a posture of humility before God's Word. This means that regardless of how we were personally brought up to understand the Sabbath, We must consider that our own tradition may have been right. Uh, It may have been wrong. Maybe it had elements of the truth, and maybe we had mistaken things as well. That doesn't mean we throw out tradition. We grew up with our traditions. Those can be good things. But unless we're compelled to do it by Scripture, we don't give them up. But we should be always evaluating whether or not our understanding of anything is scriptural. Shouldn't we be always evaluating that? Because what is the the heart of man? Deceitful above all else. We can fool ourselves into thinking something Scripture doesn't say. So we need to be humble. That's the first step here this morning. Ultimately, if we're true believers, it will be our desire to obey God and honor Him in accordance with His Word. 
and our best understanding of his word takes some work to get at. So if that's our goal, then we need to do all we can to learn what Scripture says about this matter or any other matter. And then once we conclude what we think Scripture has said to us, we have to choose to observe it, right? Or to do the things that he commands. So first, we're going to break down our current passage on the Sabbath, and we're going to look at what the Bible says elsewhere about the Sabbath. And then we're going to do our best to try to understand it biblically, to examine ourselves personally and bring our own practice into alignment with Scripture. Does that sound like a good plan? Okay, so let's dive down deep now together. Let's go back for a moment to uh, Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. And I want to draw some comparisons as we go through. Uh, I said last week this is the second giving of the commandments in Scripture. The first was in Exodus chapter 20. Um, And so we're going to be comparing some of the phrasing. How was it phrased in Exodus 20? And then how is it phrased where we're at in Deuteronomy today? So Deuteronomy 5.12 says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. In Exodus 20 verse 8, when this was first given as a command, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So in Exodus, the action word is remember. And here in Deuteronomy, the action word is observe. Observe means to keep or to be careful to do. It's not the same as remember, is it? Why does Moses highlight observe in Deuteronomy when in Exodus it was remember? Well, we can guess at the reason. We don't necessarily always know everything, but some have wondered, is it because some of the Jews had already stopped observing it? Well, that's probably a fair guess, a possibility, right? Just because we remember something does not mean we're doing it. Is this true? I've noticed that many people do not observe the rule about using turn signals before a lane change. Yet, most drivers would say if you asked them, what are you supposed to do before you change lanes? Most of them would say, the rule is to use your turn signal, but not all observe it. You see the difference between remembering and observing. Not all keep the rule or are careful to do it. So perhaps Moses had noticed that some people were no longer observing the Sabbath, that is, doing it, even though they knew about it. Well, that's one theory. By the way, for the most part, the other commandments from Exodus to Deuteronomy, uh, Exodus chapter 20 to Deuteronomy 5, are nearly identical in their written form both in, in both places. But the fourth commandment is unique because there's differences we see in the two texts. And this is important work we're doing, comparing these. So bear with it, because it's a little bit in the weeds maybe, but hopefully in the end we'll understand this a little bit better. The next difference between these two texts is some additional definitions are given in Deuteronomy about who among the Jews, including which animals, are to keep the Sabbath. So first, in Exodus 20, this is the first giving of the commandments again, starting at verse 9, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. 
For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There's the Exodus one. Now let's go back to Deuteronomy, starting in verse 13 of chapter 5. It expands it a little bit. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So in Exodus, it says those who are not to do the work are you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner. Sojourner means a guest or traveler that's staying with you. So even a guest was not allowed to do any of the work. I've noticed that. It's interesting, uh, just as a side note, that when people have house guests, I've no, I know some people have a house guest, and if they don't want to go to church, they don't go to church. And there's other people I know that if you're my house guest, you're going to church with me this morning, you know, and, and I find that interesting. Um, but anyway, even a guest was not allowed to do work. So you could be someone's guest. You didn't get to go out and do any work. Um, and in Deuteronomy, the list is the same, but adds to it your ox or your donkey. Now, again, some people have speculated why this addition is made, and there could be lots of interesting discussions. We don't have time for every side topic here, so we're going to not spend too much, but we can learn from this concept And that is that even a working animal will benefit from a day off of work, a day of rest. I would say that it seems clear to me that there's a reason that the livestock is included in this command beyond just the fact that the animals need a break. My observation is that animals don't go to work unless a human leads them to the work. In other words, it's doubtful that an ox is going to go out and hitch itself to a mill or a plow, right? It would be a human leading them to that work. And in some cases, you can just imagine, you've probably all been in a Sunday school class like this where there's the the biblical lawyer, you know, I can find a way to do anything. And you can just imagine someone saying, well, I'm not doing the work. The, The ox is doing the work. The donkey's doing the work. And he would not be able to say so because this command clearly excludes the livestock from working. Now, we're going to talk about a pretty big difference between the text of the fourth commandment in Exodus and the one found in Deuteronomy. And I wonder if you've observed this already. This difference comes in the motivation or the impetus given for the command. And by taking a look at this, we may be able to understand that while God is unchanging, his word and revelation to people may be increased over time. He may reveal a little more about his character by giving a little more information to generations that come after the other ones. And that's pretty common in Scripture, right? Like the Jews in the days of Isaiah, they had more information about God and his intent than Jews in the days of Moses. Because God had given prophecy. He'd he'd set up men to, to tell things about himself. And his revelation in that sense is progressive, 
because he's revealing more and more about himself. So we see something about the motivation behind this commandment when we look at Exodus and then Deuteronomy. In Exodus, verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. When the Sabbath command was first given, the reasoning or the motivation behind it was that in the creation week, God made the heavens and earth in six days and then rested. As Genesis 2 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God sanctified the day and set the example of taking a rest. Now, when we think of rest, we tend to think of physical or emotional rest, right? Did God need that? Was he tired out from creating the world? Was he emotionally worn out? Of course not. Then why did he rest? Well, I have two thoughts on that. First, rest goes on beyond just the physical and emotional recuperating. Rest involves enjoyment. In this case, enjoyment of his creation. Not only that, but God has chosen to set an example to us of behaviors that we're required to do, but he didn't necessarily need to do, other than that he wanted to set an example. Do we see this anywhere else in Scripture? where God sets an example of doing something that he really doesn't need to do, but wants to show us the way. Well, I thought of two right off the top of my head. Remember how John the Baptist objected to baptizing Jesus? He said, ah, you need to baptize me. How could I baptize you? And, and Jesus said, this is done to fulfill. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Did Jesus need to repent? Certainly not. He was without sin. Why would he need that baptism? He did it to set an example of humility that all who follow him should adopt as well. This humility is demonstrated to us so that we can follow the example. If the perfect sinless one showed enough humility to subject himself to baptism, then certainly his followers should be able to obey his command to be baptized as well. And just as John the Baptist initially objected to baptizing Jesus, Simon Peter initially objected to an example the Lord was giving to the disciples found in John 13, 8. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So a perfect God can set an example to people of an action he's not required to do. Jesus did not need to be baptized as a matter of being cleansed from sin, but he did so as an example and as a sign. He did not need to wash any of feet, but to show what true humility looks like, he demonstrated to his disciples this act of humiliation. Neither did Jesus need to prove anything by going to the cross, but he did so for us. And God did not need any emotional or physical rest from the creation, but as an example and as the lawgiver, he established the Sabbath, setting aside a day, a day of rest and enjoyment for himself, 
so that ultimately it would be the motivation for people to rest one day out of seven as well. But the second time we see this commandment in Deuteronomy, we see an additional reason given. Deuteronomy 5.15 again, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. For all the years of their captivity, the people were given no day of rest. Day after day after day, they worked with no rest. They were slaves. Then God set the people free from Egypt and gave them both a permanent rest, meaning no longer do they have to work and toil for their slave masters in Egypt, and the Sabbath rest as a statute or law to be kept by the people. Now you can see that if you read about the collection of the manna. On the sixth day they were to collect double so that on the seventh day everyone could rest. And that involved trusting God because what happened normally if they kept the manna overnight? It rotted and got full of worms, right? But if they collected double the manna on the sixth day, it would not expire and it would be edible the next day. And it says that everyone had enough. So they're told now to observe... That is to keep or be sure to do the Sabbath, remembering their slavery. And by remembering their slavery, they would hopefully be compassionate to any servants or slaves that they might have. Now, we should note that both in the Exodus text and the Deuteronomy text, the primary focus of the Sabbath is rest from work. In fact, nothing at all is specifically mentioned as to reasoning for the Sabbath Uh, other than rest from work. It doesn't say anything about worship or prayer, does it? Probably because we're supposed to do that every day. Furthermore, the Sabbath is elaborated on in Exodus chapter 31, starting at verse 12. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign. It's a sign. Okay, That's a key word there between me and you throughout your generations, that you might, may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it, profanes it shall be put to death. That's a pretty serious consequence. So what are you saying, Lord, if I don't work that day, you're going to kill me? Oh, my goodness. How serious is it that God said they needed to rest? Six days shall... Uh, sorry. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. It doesn't say eternal believers in Christ. It says the people of Israel. That in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Notice again, the focus is on the rest from work. That's the focus. Whenever we read scripture, we want to look what's the main thing. The focus here is so clear. You may notice it says, I, the Lord, sanctify you. The Sabbath is holy to you, it says. These words can have a relation to worship for us, but in this specific case, we look very carefully at the text, the context that it's in, and context is what? King? Context is king. In this case, the word sanctify is a word that means sets apart. God set apart his people. 
They are separated from others largely in the keeping of these commandments. So God sets aside his people by giving them commandments that will make them different or peculiar, if you like the Old Testament language, or the the King James language. So they were different from the other races or ethnic groups who did not have those rules and did not keep those rules. And the people are to consider the Sabbath holy because this In this case, the word holy also means to set aside, to make different. The Sabbath was different from every other day of the work, not because it was a day of worship, because every day for every human being should be a day of worship. It was set aside because it was a rest from work. So regarding the Sabbath as recorded in the Ten Commandments, I think it's clear the primary focus is rest. This commandment, like all the other commandments, was for the good and benefit of God's people. So why do God's people need to be commanded to do something that's good for them? Look in the mirror and we'll find out, right? The answer is pretty clear. Because on our own, we think we know what's best. We want to depend on ourselves. It takes trust and humility to stop working for one day when you're concerned about providing for yourself and your family. The rest the Sabbath brings is not only the physical break, but it is a time to enjoy God's creation as he set the example to do. Like many of the good things God provides, the Sabbath was perverted by some people. Jesus had many a tussle, right, with those who hated that he would heal on the Sabbath. He confronted that. He told people, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. And he said the Sabbath was God's gift to man, not man's gift to God. That's my paraphrasing, not exactly what the text says, but that's how I see it. Hopefully now, having looked at the Old Testament texts on the Sabbath, we can be clear. For God's people Israel, remember when we look at Scripture, the first thing we have to do is find out what did it mean for the people at the time that it was written to them. And then after we figured that out, then we try to see what it means to us. I think it's clear. For God's people, Israel, the Sabbath was to be taken on the seventh day for the purpose of rest and enjoyment. That's what Scripture says. That's what they were told. It was rest and also the enjoyment of his creation. And uh, not only rest from work, but to rest in God's sovereignty and provision and protection, and trusting that he would provide for those who obeyed him. But what does that do for us today, then? Trying to understand, what what does this mean for a believer in the year 2022? And in answering this, I'm likely going to ruffle some feathers this morning. Um, The feathers of those who will feel I'm being too loose, and some will say I'm being too legalistic. I think we may have people on both sides. But the fact is that we must wrestle with this because it's God's word. And we want to obey God's word. So we have to find its meaning for us and what we are to do in order to obey this command in our context today. Now, some of you just want the pastor to tell you what it all means and what to do about it. And some of you may want me to shut up at this point and let you do whatever you've been doing with no warning about a need to change. No one's going to be 100% happy, I suspect. But clearly the concept of a day of rest is universal throughout time. 
We need a day of rest today as much as ever. Just as Israel needed the physical and emotional rest from work, so do we. Just as they needed a day to enjoy God and his creation, including the creation of the community around them, so do we. And yet, we live in a society that has made work ethic a higher virtue than this virtue of enjoying God and the rest he offers. Now, I would by no means say work ethic is bad. That's not what I'm saying. But when work consumes our lives to the point where no rest, no enjoyment of God, we're failing not only to be obedient to God, but we're failing ourselves. Well, the sin is primarily against God, who is the lawgiver, it really is a sin against ourselves to not take a Sabbath. And we'll make all kinds of excuses, though, won't we? You may be listening even now, and you're thinking, oh, this pastor doesn't understand the pressure you're under, or the work stacked up before you. Whether you're white-collar or blue-collar or no-collar, you may think the pastor should just shut up and let me be. I work because I have to. I don't have a choice. You don't understand. Well, I do understand this challenge. But what I want to understand the most is how to obey God and his word. And I desire God's blessings for you. And I know that his word promises blessing to those who obey him. God from creation set an example of rest and enjoyment And we would find ourselves happier and healthier if we would simply learn to rest. Physically rest, yes, but to rest in him. That's the most important thing. It's clear to me that the concept of Sabbath is not abolished in the New Testament. At least not as far as our need for a day of rest. But what about the day of the week? Well, from Scripture, we know that already in the early church, they had begun to celebrate the Lord's Day. The first day of the week, the celebration of the resurrection that happened on that day of the week, John received the revelation on the Lord's Day. Revelation chapter 1, you can read about that. Paul encouraged the church to set aside offerings on the Lord's Day. When Eutychus fell out of the window, it was because Paul was teaching for a long time on the Lord's day. Aren't you glad I don't preach as long as Paul so you fall out the window? (laughs) Hebrews teaches that we who have believed have entered into the Sabbath rest. So there's a sense that we're already in God's Sabbath rest But clearly, the first day of the week from the very beginning of the church was called the Lord's Day. And it was the day when Christians came together in community. It was their Sabbath. But it was so much more than that. It was a day to be reminded of the resurrection that brings eternal life to those who believe. It was a celebration day. It was a feast day. The community of faith is so important that the writer to the Hebrews said, uh, and warned not to neglect meeting together. As things in the world get worse and worse, the need for the community of faith is more important, not less. And the writer of the Hebrews said in chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more. 
isn't it easy to say, oh, the world's all falling apart anyway. I just want to huddle in by myself in my living room. All the more. So what has happened when many churches today, and I'm not, I don't mean to call you out, John, but John works for our district. How many churches today, when they record regular church attendance, now have started recording ones who go once a month? I've talked to many pastors, and that's their, fa- that's their standard. Oh, we call regular attendance once a month. Today, the church celebrates on Sunday, the first day, the Lord's Day, as our day of Sabbath rest, but also a day of celebration and remembrance that we have entered into his rest. This commandment, writes uh, one author about, um, about it, has posed many problems for the Christian. Jesus' statements in Mark 2 that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and that he, the Son of Man, that was Lord of the Sabbath, removed the law forever from the unwholesome restriction of the rabbis. The Christian observance of Sunday is, of course, not an observance of the seventh day, but of the first day, and hence it is in the, na- it is in the nature of a new commandment based on a new covenant. It is nevertheless the fulfillment of the old. The first day provides opportunity to commemorate the resurrection of Christ, which made possible deliverance from the bondage of sin and the renewal of life by way of a new creation. What do we do with those who still believe the Sabbath must be on Saturday? Well, Paul argued against enforcing a Sabbath and against judging someone based on how they kept the Sabbath. Romans 14, 5, and 6, Paul writes... One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. And again in Colossians two sixteen and 17, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon, or a Sabbath. There, these are a shadow of the things that come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So, is there room for disagreement, yet unity? Well, possibly. We are not to let anyone pass judgment on certain ways we are trying to be obedient to Scripture in the way that we understand Scripture to lead us. The problem comes not in the day of the Sabbath when but when someone judges someone else to be apostate or outside the faith because they disagree. However, the disagreement, the disagreement about the day of the week is not to say we can dismiss the concept altogether. We need a day of rest. We need the community of believers. We need to be preached at. We need to worship together. We need to be encouraged and learn to rest in the Lord. Can we watch sports or movies or play games or cook food? Well, I'm not going to address all those things right now. I think you, I will leave you with something more broad that in your own life and home you need to consider. And then as you need to, you may need to make it more narrow. For one person, reading a book is a pleasure. For another, it's work. For one person, going for a jog is a way of getting some rest. For another, it might ruin your whole day. I'm going to stay away from too many specifics. But my take on what the Bible is telling us today is this. 
we certainly need the day of rest. Scripture is clear, and we need to be careful to make this happen in our lives. That may mean making some tough choices about how we use our time. And we uh, need each other in the community of faith, the community of believers. We need each other for mutual encouragement, edification through God's word, singing together, praying together, and just pure enjoyment as well as we're about to do at lunchtime. We can just have fun, right? The Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We just sang about that. Be glorified. And we want God to be glorified, and he is telling us in his commandments how we can do that. We glorify him when we keep his commandments. And I'm going to, just about closing, but this quote from a commentary I thought was really good. His name is Patrick Miller. He wrote, The Sabbath looks forward to the promised rest, also in the Christian shift to celebrate the day of rest on the first day of the week as the day of Jesus' resurrection, which is an anticipatory celebration of the rest that lies with God. Such eschatological, that just means end times, such meaning to the Sabbath continues in the Jewish tradition as indicated by the following rabbinic legend. This is not scripture, this is a legend the rabbis would tell. They said that the time when God was giving the Torah to Israel, that is the the commandments, the law, he said to them, my children, if you accept the Torah and observe my commandments, I will give you for all eternity a thing more precious that I have in my possession. And what, asked Israel, is that precious thing which thou wilt give us if we obey thy Torah? The world to come. Show us in this world an example of the world to come. The Sabbath is an example of the world to come. Why would we want to spend our whole lives in a frenzy, never learning to enjoy God, never taking a rest? And it is very easy. I know. We have bills to pay. We have, we, if we can get a few more hours at work, maybe that helps out for the month or something like that. And I didn't really plan to close with this, but I'm going to share because I grew up in a town where there was a lot of farming going on in North Dakota where your, your fall frost could come with a snowstorm. Sunflowers cannot be harvested until the first freeze, at least the kind that grow up there. The first freeze may come with three feet of snow. I always said I don't think I would have had the faith to be a farmer. But there was a guy, and there's a lot of farmers that they, when it comes to harvest time, you just go until the harvest is done. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. But there was a man that went to our church that I used to go to in back home named Jim, and, and he had an immense farm. You always saw him at church on Sunday. It didn't matter if it was harvest season. It didn't matter if there was foreboding weather coming and his sunflowers weren't in yet. And you know what he said to me once? I've never lost a harvest. God has always blessed and honored. I don't make my workers work on Sunday, and I don't work on Sunday. Now, I've also known farmers that that had a little saying, and it was, work on Sunday, fix on Monday. 
That's, that, that means their tractors would break down, they would have all kinds of repairs, and yet they would still do it because <laughs> the pressure is so strong. I would ask you, can we be more like Jim and sit back and trust the Lord and just say, you know what? I'm going to obey his word. He tells me I need the rest. I'm going to take the rest. I'm going to enjoy him. I'm going to enjoy his community that he's given me to enjoy. That is the church. That is the believers in Christ. And we're going to start with a lunch today to give an example of that. That's going to be great. And as we continue going forward together on the Lord's Day, you know, we've talked about adding Sunday school soon in September. And we're going to have more and more opportunities to enjoy each other as we enjoy God by keeping a Sabbath rest. But I encourage you. You have to listen to God's word and figure out what this all is going to mean as an impact, possibly decisions you have to make to change something. Do you trust God enough to keep his command even when it's scary to do so? I also want to just say, because I realize we're in a world now that's vastly different. Uh, some of you have jobs that you cannot not work on Sunday, um, whether it's medical or anything else. It's just the fact of the matter. Um, some jobs, you may have the opportunity to say, you know what, I need to make a change. This job keeps me working, and I don't, I don't get a Sabbath, so I need to change jobs. And some people might just have to say, hey, I'm a nurse. I have to work on Sundays sometimes. I have to shift my Sabbath to another day. This is where we get to what Paul was saying, right? We can't just be so judgmental of each other and say, ah, you weren't there on Sunday you know, we got to be careful with that as well and realize that people are doing sometimes the best they can and the Lord does call certain people to those jobs and does not the Lord say that it is okay to do good on the Sabbath. So if, if you're a nurse or a doctor or something like that, the, if Christ healed on a Sunday or a Saturday at that time, the Sabbath, then I think he allows us to, to do healing works as well. All right, so let's, uh, let's pray, and then I think uh, we've got a little, couple other things at the end here. Brandon's going to come up here and, and share with us in a moment, but let's say a quick prayer about this word. Lord, thank you for your word about the Sabbath, and I realize, God, even as I prepared it throughout the last week or two, that this would challenge some of